Welcome to the Practical Idealist Podcast, aligning what is good with what is possible. I'm your host, Allison Bueller, and our focus on this show is real change that improves health, home, and community. Political office or public service is one of the most direct ways we can impact our communities. But it's often extremely uncomfortable for those of us without law or political backgrounds. And it can be especially uncomfortable to think about for women who often choose to serve in volunteer roles, but not political ones. Our guest today is Sandra Sistrunk, who will tell us how to overcome our hesitation to enter the arena and why it's so important at this period in time for us to bring our voices to the table. This program is brought to you by the Homestead Education Center, a nonprofit organization in Starkville, Mississippi. And we want to thank our members because they help us provide our programming. This week, we want to welcome new members, Rachel Popplerader, Pam Jones, Joanna Holmes, Laura Daniels, Keith Brantley, and Joyce Allen. Our membership money pays for our programming, and last month was busy. We had over 200 people out to the Homestead Center for Homestead Day with over 20 workshops on everything from beekeeping to sourdough bread making to natural parenting sessions. And the highlight of the day for me was tacos by Pilar Valdez, who had people lined up at her stand all day long. I wanna thank all the board members at the Homestead Center who get their hands dirty. It's what makes our nonprofit work so well. And the event was a huge success, especially due to board member Andrea Baha'i, who coordinated the event. We're also in the midst of our September online course, Keeping Backyard Livestock. And all the members have free access to our online courses and the lively discussion in the membership Facebook group. So if you haven't done that yet, please join us. We've been talking about chicken keeping and goat keeping. And this week we take on bees, which are very complicated creatures. We've got a couple of great events coming up, including our family hike with outdoor enthusiast Evan O'Donnell. And as as the camp kids call him, Mr. Evan, Mr. Evan. That's on the 23rd, and the Fermenters Fair is on the horizon in October, so check out all the upcoming events at www.thehomesteadcenter.org backslash calendar. That's www.thehomesteadcenter.org backslash calendar. On a personal note, Mike and I collected the honey from the Homestead Hives last week. I'm in charge of the hives, and he's in charge of the honey, which means I basically add a uh, box in the spring and I feed them through the winter and then in the fall I check and see if we have any honey and take off a box and if we do have honey I'll give the frames to Mike who's gotten really good at at spinning spinning the hives and bees are complicated I've had uh, the extension agent out several times to help us and I don't understand any more three years into this than I did when we began but I keep trying and it's really satisfying when we actually do get a little bit of honey but mostly we're, we're uh, just trying to provide a safe home for the bees that help our garden out and help our community out. I've been preparing for this year's Helping Hands campaign, and this one is really special to me. When I was a teacher in Jackson, Mississippi, I read my inner city kids Harry Potter. And I love Harry Potter, don't get me wrong, I love Harry Potter, but I wonder what would have happened for their motivation and their ability to connect with the character and love reading if I'd been able to find a Harry that looked and sounded like them. 
And that's what this year's Helping Hand project is about. We're going to close the achievement gap between African-American readers and their peers. And I know you guys are going to be excited to hear what we've got in store. So stay tuned because next week I'll tell you the details on that one. So one of our focuses on the Practical Idealist is to find out how to better take care of our communities. And today's guest came to mind immediately. I love this woman when I thought about the title Public Servant. Sandra Sistrunk is currently a member of her local board of aldermen, and she's here today to talk to us about why it's important for regular people, just like you and me, to bring our voices to the table as public servants, and why it's important for women especially to run for political office. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you for coming. I'm very glad to be here. Thank you. I just want to start by having you introduce yourself and tell us about your background and why you decided to run for political office. I, um, like a lot of people, I'm, I'm in this area, Starville, Mississippi. I'm a native Mississippian, grew up about halfway between Jackson and New Orleans. I, I came to Mississippi State as a student, stayed too long, like a lot of people, um, got too many degrees, but found the love of my life, got married, and we eventually left uh, for work and um, entered into that um, work hard, play hard portion of our life. Later, we decided that we were ready to get more involved in community, that, that life was more than just jobs and and having um, all that goes along with that. We, we wanted to have jobs that let us have a meaningful um have have a meaningful involvement with a community and we came back to Starkville. Uh, I, I find that Starkville is kind of composed of three groups. There are people who grew up here and either left and came back but grew up here and have really deep roots here. People like us who came to school here and have come back home and then people who think they're here temporarily because they're here for a job, and it turns out that pretty often they're not here ter- temporarily. They are they're ours. We we get into people's blood. But worked while we were out of town. Worked in accounting for most of my professional life. Um, came back. Decided to run when I was reading my paper, and and saw that my my alderman had voted no on a bond issue that would be used to improve streets. Unfortunately, he also would generally vote no on tax increases that would be used to improve streets. And I thought people just people need an option, and um, we're 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 going to get our best government when when people do have an option. So. I decided I would run for office, not knowing what I was doing. So. You didn't know anything about uh, politics. You've you've explained to me before. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I, when I when I say I knew nothing about politics, I knew where to go vote, and I did go vote. And if you do nothing else, please go vote. But uh, get educated and then go vote. But um, I, I've I'd never had a campaign sign in my yard. I'd never made a campaign contribution. I had never volunteered to work for somebody who was running for office. I didn't know fully what an alderman did. I did not realize alderman got paid. I thought it was a volunteer position. Um, I wasn't sure why people were so interested in it, but but um, I, I knew nothing about the process. So I was I was starting cold. I heard a leader speak at the Southern Women in Public Service Conference, and she said that men generally, this is a generalization, I don't mean to dog on men that are running, but men generally run to be someone 
like a, a political figure and women run to get something done. Was that the case for you? What does she mean by that? Well, I, I think that is the case. And I think you're right. There are generalizations, but all generalizations have some kernel of truth in, in them. Um, yes, I, I think we all look around and we see elected officials that we think are there because they like the title or they like the position. And those are the ones that we generally accuse of just making decisions that are going to allow them to stay in office and continue to be reelected. I, I think that um, women who, who are typically going to be first-time candidates because we've just not done that, um, women are there for, for a purpose. And it could be a big, broad purpose, making my community better. It could, could have some focus. For me, I wanted to be sure that we were making the best possible use of our financial resources and making good financial decisions and not just saying no to things because they um, because they cost money. Um, it could be that you have a passion about some specific, some very specific issue. It may be a drainage problem in, in your neighborhood, or it could be a set of streets that you think need more attention than they're getting. It could be um, parks. They're, they're all manner of things. Um, you may want to have one of those precious votes that appoints school board members. Um, there, there are all manners of, of reasons that people choose to run, and there, there are going to be as many of those as there are people out there. Yeah, so let's say that we do decide that we have a, a reason or, or something to contribute and that we get over that we don't know very much about the process. Why is it important for us to bring regular people's voices to the table, and especially women who are currently underrepresented in public office? I think it's I think it's important for the the here and now, and I think it's important for the future too. Um, we we all need to have a little Boy Scout in us and and hope to leave things better than we found them. Uh, I, I think. Um, without having women at that board table, there are a lot of points of view that are that are never heard. If you look at Starkville's history of, of boards of aldermen, um, they're 85% male, which means in a town where over half of the population is female, they're, they're way overrepresented and we are underrepresented. Not that we don't share issues, but but I do think we come at them differently. Women are more collaborative. I think we, I think when you have different voices at the table, you you ultimately get better decisions. I think that it's important that we run so that little girls, young women, start to see women as um, elected officials or people who have a, a a chance to have their voices heard. Um, that that there are other we 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 can be as my daddy used to tell me all the time, we can be anything we want to be. And this is a, this is a way to get involved with the community that, that gives you far more, you, you'll know far more about the community after you've gotten involved than you would have ever thought. Yeah, so let's, decide, let's just say that we have decided we have a purpose and that we need to step up and, and, and be at the table and bring our voice to the table. 
What do you actually do when you decide to run? What's, what's step one? Well, the, that, that big first hairy step is the making that decision to run. And um, it, you're never too, it is never too early to make that decision. You, um, I, I think people who are going to be running for supervisor in 2019 need to be thinking about it now. If they're uh, thinking about running for alderman in 2021, it's not too early to be thinking about that a little bit, if if for no other reason than you kind of moderate what you're putting on Twitter and Facebook. Um, but but the the very first thing I think once you once you think you've made that decision is to get your elevator speech down pat. That one to two minute spiel that you can use on the campaign trail that that you can use when you get asked and you will get asked early and often. Um, why are you running? Why should I vote for you? And it's going to be the last thing people think about when they're going into the poll booth is why why should I have run for her? So, or, or why should I have voted for her? Um, so I think that elevator speech is important. It it's like the thesis sentence or the topic of an outline. It it lets you then build on that for anything else that you're going to put together for your campaign. Um, I think the second thing that that you need to be thinking about early in this process is who your team is going to be. You can do this all by yourself, but it's a, a difficult and fairly lonely proposition to do it by yourself. There are going to be parts of this that you're better at than others. There's, um, for instance, record keeping and the finance part of it was not problematic for me, but but I know people who would never want to take that particular part of the, the job on, and that's where they'll need somebody that they can trust and rely on to, to take care of that part of it. For me, marketing is a nightmare, <laughs> and this is marketing. Um, you're selling yourself, and so you need, if that's, if you're like me and that's a problem, then you, you need to find somebody that can help you polish and refine your good ideas into something that's um, a, a a market strategy. You, I, I, you cannot underestimate how important it is to have somebody that you can have lunch with or sit down after work with and just be bluntly honest about how the day went, whether it was good or bad, somebody that can prop you up when when it's getting to be tiresome, somebody who, who will tell you, I'm sorry, you have got to go out there and knock on doors this afternoon. I get that there's a football game, or I get that, that there's um, a birthday party, or I get that there's a family wedding, and um, you've just got to find a way to work some of that into, into the schedule, and somebody to help you keep on task, because it's not fun. It, it is a grind. It, it is a grind. It, it, it can be fun, but, but it is ultimately a grind. And for me, I'm an introvert. It really uh, could be draining. For some people, they, they seem to be really energized by that, by that, but that wasn't me. But I did it. <laughs> yeah, and that's, I think that's important to say that even if it's not your you know, natural proclivity to want to go out and talk to people, it's still, you're still able to overcome those things and step out of your comfort zone if it matters enough. So I saw on Hours to Change, which is a really great nonprofit group that started in Mississippi that is on their website. You can type in your zip code and look for all the offices that are open for you to run for in your area. And they also had a neat little 
bunch of step by step. Okay, you have to file at the Secretary of State's office. Yeah. Is that what it is? Well, it, it it depends on the office, and the Secretary of State's off, uh, website is a terrific place to start. They have election handbooks, they have calendars, they have prior election results, which we'll talk about later. Um, so there's a lot of information out there that can be can be useful to you. But once you've made that decision and and figured out that you're going to do this. The, the next little gap of things are all just really technical things. You, you have to decide um, whether you're going to run with a party, um, whether you're going to run as an independent, where to go qualify. And for the Board of Aldermen, you would, uh, which is a municipal office, you would go to the city clerk's office. There's a date range in which you can qualify. Um, and each, all of that's going to be kind of outlined on that Secretary of uh, State website with their calendars. The um, thing that was surprising to me when I ran the first time, I, I thought, surely they screen people somewhat <laughs> before they let them put their name on a ballot. I should have known better from previous elections I've voted in, but, <laughs> but uh, um, you, I went to the city clerk's office. I got the little one-page form that had my name and address. <clears throat> I, I don't know if it even asks for my date of birth, but um, are you a registered voter? That's an important thing. Um, and then you give them a ten dollar check, no cash, please, and and the, and and you're a candidate, oh, wow. and then you're <laughs> then you're on your own out there. So, well, we we've kind of gotten to the part of okay, you have to have a purpose, you have to have a passion, uh, something that uh, that you want to do to change. You decide what you want to run for. You file, and now you're ready to run. Can you talk about some of the two, like two of your favorite strategies or most effective strategies that you think on the campaign trail that 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 are that have worked for you? I, I, I can, and um, I'm I'm happy to share this with anybody, any party, any sex, any. Um, I'm I'm happy to share this because I think it is important for people to to consider taking part in in our local government. Um, I, I'm. I, there, there's a difference between government and politics, and the the candidate phase of this is politics. It is about getting elected, and it is a job, and that's that's going to be your focus for a period of time. Once you get elected, you get to do all those wonderful things that you've thought about and that have gotten you to the point of being a candidate. But for the the initial portion, it is it is about getting elected. I had um, two people who helped me tremendously um, with my first race and one that I continued to work with over uh, other races that gave me the same advice. Uh, it sort of came in two different directions, but it, but it was essentially the, the same advice. And the, the first piece was figure out how many votes you need to win your particular election. And that's where the Secretary of State's website um, and those prior election results come in really handy. I my ward has about 2,500 elected, uh, elected. My ward has about 2,500 registered voters in it. It, it was, in the words of um, one person I talked to, it was going to take me fewer votes to get elected alderman in my ward than it would have to get elected student body president at Startville High School. <laughs> so, so in looking back, it looked like about 200, 220 votes 
out of 2,500 were, were what I was going to need to be um, elected. And, and, and that turned out to be true based on historical trends. This last election cycle, I was shooting for 300. I, I thought, 300 people, how hard is it to get 300 people to say, yeah, I can vote for you? Um, 300 votes would have given me a landslide win. That's incredible. So it, it is. It is. And it every ward is different. Ward, ward 3 is a ward that votes a lot. Ward 2 is not a voting ward. So you're you're going to you're going to need to know your numbers um, and and figure out who those people are. That uh, and that's going to come you're you're going to find a strategy for figuring out how, who those people are. But that was the first the first and really good piece of advice and I tell people no matter what you're doing that's that's your target that's what you're working toward um the the second part of that is then um you've got a number now you've got to figure out who those people are and that's where canvassing the door-to-door personal contact your volunteers helping you with that part of it um that's that's where identifying those people uh, becomes important while you're on the door with them and that's a political phrase there, on the door, Um, while you're on the door with them, try to get a phone number, particularly a cell phone number or an email address. Give them an opportunity online to provide that information for you too because that will let you stay in touch with them. That will um, let you get back in touch with them as you get closer to election. Um, A corollary to this particular piece of advice about canvassing and, and going out and walking and knocking on doors X number of hours per day for however many months you do this, buy some comfortable shoes. I've, I've walked through two pairs of shoes um, doing this. Um, I've also lost some weight, which I gained promptly after I quit walking so much. But it's it's an interesting process. And, and people are incredibly nice. Even those people who will never vote for you are generally very nice um, when, when you're there with them. Some will want to engage you and talk for a long time. Some, some will just be there briefly and, and move on. As you're going through and doing that canvassing, um, you're going to figure out that there are people who aren't going to vote for you. You probably know some of them already <laughs> that aren't going to vote for you. Just just don't waste time with them and, and know that we're all different and, and don't waste your time there. Waste your time on finding your people and, and identifying them. And then lastly, make sure they go to the poll. Um, there are a lot of tools out there, and if you get serious about it, I'll be glad to talk to anybody again about some of the tools. It could be manual lists. It could be spreadsheets. There's some apps that you can use for tracking tracking people. Um, I, I had fell short of my 300 number on knocking on doors because... Um, it's, it's really hard to catch people at home, um, but I, f- I fell short, but I was close. I had about 280 or 290 people that I had identified as uh, people who had said that they would vote for me. They did not all go vote. <laughs> and so, and so the, the, the end of the campaign becomes a get out the vote effort. And that's where you need volunteers. You need those phone numbers. You need to be able to text people, email them, remind them why it's important that they do that. You shared some good strategies that, that work. So you identify who you're, how many people you need to vote for you to win in a local election. 
And then you go find those people and you talk to them. Mm-hmm. And you don't bother talking to people that aren't going to vote for you ever, no matter what you do or say. So you spend your time on uh, basically getting the your choir to get to the polls. That's wrong. Right? That's okay. wrong. What are some ineffective strategies you see people use? I'm, um, I think at the local level, and this is the very local level, I, th- I think it is all about personal contact. And I think that, uh, unfortunately, it's less about platform and more about likability, about people being able to relate to you. There are people for whom this comes much more naturally than it did for me. Um, and, and yet I managed to get elected twice. So <laughs> so it's it's doable, even if it's not your, your wheelhouse. Um but I think that people do spend money and and time on things that aren't particularly effective. I, I, I hate to say it because I'm I'm a huge supporter of newspapers, but I'm not sure that newspaper advertising pays off. Um, I, I don't know that it has the breadth anymore of um, people that that it reaches. Um, television. Um, I, I've seen people spend money on television ads, um, and you've got to. They've got to be looking at that set when your ad is programmed to come on, and it can be really difficult to target that. Radio is a little less expensive than TV, and so you can have a little more saturation. But still, if if you're like me and an NPR listener, it doesn't matter how many radio stations you advertise on. I'm not going to hear. I'm not going to hear your ad. Uh, so I, th- I think you need to to figure out where you're going to interact with with those people and how uh, either in person uh, or through social media or through group activities um, somebody like you Allison has a real um, base that you're developing just through your the things that you're doing with the homestead center so you you have a reach there that I didn't have when I decided to run. I had I had my church, most of whom don't live in my ward. I had I had a, a neighbors, and I thought I knew a, a good many of my neighbors, but you never know as many as you think you do. Um, but it's um, it, it's about that relationship, about that likability factor, or if if they don't like you, at least that they trust you that you're going to have their best interests at heart. Hopefully, they're going to like you too. But you mentioned uh, paying for these things, and let's talk a little bit about how much does this cost? You've told me in the past it's not as much as you think. You can, you can make it cost a lot, but yes. you don't have to. And how do you find funds for that? I, I really was, um, like I said, I, I got into this knowing nothing, so <laughs> it was all pretty interesting to me. Um, I, I found that I never had to do anything for campaign fundraising. I had people um, just send me money, and I... I fully recognize that is not the way it works for most people, but I had friends who sent me money, people that I had worked with in the past who would send me money. Um, just They just gave me uh, gave me money. Now, they didn't give me thousands of dollars, but, but $20 here, $100 there, and pretty soon you've put together um, enough to buy some campaign signs, which you're going to need just so that people get that 
name and that office associated there. And, and here, tip to anybody who's designing a campaign sign. Most people are going to be seeing those at 30 miles an hour, not walking by it or holding it in their hands. So make it easy for them to read. Don't, don't clutter it up too much. Um, you'll, you'll have um, push cards. So when you knock on that door and people aren't home, um, you can jot a note on it and stick it in the door. Um, you probably will have a mail out or two, although that's not something that I'd, I... I think people get those mail outs and do what I do with them, which is look at it, see the name, either have a positive reaction to it or not, and then promptly toss it into the garbage. And when you're talking about um, something that between having it designed and printed and mailed can run 75 cents to a dollar a piece. You might be better off going on social media. Yes, you might You might well be. So, um, But I think, I think you can run a, an organized, professional, those are air quotes that y'all aren't seeing there, a, a professional campaign for $1,500 to $2,500. You can spend tens of thousands and not necessarily have any more effective campaign. That's good advice. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily equate to a win no. um, because it comes down to relationships. As it said, does. At the local level, especially. Let's talk a little bit about, okay, so you, you, you learned how to, you have a purpose, you signed up to run, you figured out what office you want to run for, you know how to run a campaign, you know how to do all the logistics of it, and and you win. <laughs> what what and we're going to win, right? <laughs> That's um, right. What what do you do as a nice person? I know you're a nice person with all the yuck of the politics and the uh, controversy. I think that's what stops a lot of people, not so much the running, but the oh, I don't really want to be involved in that. Tell us a little bit about your strategy for keeping yourself whole and sane once you win. <laughs> Um, there may be some people that think I'm not doing a very good job of that part I of think it. You're doing a great job. <laughs> but um, but uh, some of it is luck of the draw. You know, that you, you get a board that's easy to work with, that whose views um, align a little more naturally than with yours than, than others. Um, so some of it's just going to be luck of the draw. And the more people who are out there running, the more people who share similar ideas who are out there running, the more who are going to get elected, and the more you're likely to get some things done and find a group that's easier to work with. Um, I, I, I think when we think about politics, we think, tend to think about party politics, and, and we, we think about people who are struggling to gain power in a, in, a, in a situation. And at the local level, it is really more about, it really is more about community. I'm not saying that there aren't people out there who want to control all of that or people who are, are making every vote without an eye toward re-election because that does that does go on but I think you have to just be able to separate yourself from that I think one of the hardest things to to do is pick and again I'm an introvert so this is different for different people to pick up the paper and see your picture on the front page of the local paper and and then they have to read what is there and and you're thinking I didn't exactly say that, did I? But um, anyway, I think um, 
the hardest part is recognizing that there are people that are never going to like you, that are never going to agree with what you're trying to do, that are going to be critical, and that generally those people are going to be people who don't know you, um, who don't have all the information that went into a decision, um, that don't or don't would never agree with you on on anything and there are people out there like that you know them they're your neighbors they're your co-workers they're they're people out there like that um so so you just try to to maintain that civility and and kind of move forward but don't let the don't get into it if you're thin-skinned it's a tough business for somebody who's thin-skinned but don't let that keep you from um from doing it um it's it's rewarding and that's that's worth the 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 parts that can be negative um it, it is rewarding it sounds like you're able to separate yourself from your issue you and your issue and your purpose from uh maybe some of the negative stuff that goes along with it i think you i think you have to be able to do that but but women are great at that anyway we we do it all the time we do it in social groups we do it at work we do it in our neighborhoods um, i mean we we find a way to to interact with people and and maintain ourselves. i think it's important to have some self-awareness i think our best elected officials have some self-awareness and i, I would encourage people get to know your elected officials um they may make a decision that you don't agree with and as you talk to them you you may still disagree with them but at least you see that other other point of why they did what they did i think another important part of all of this for elected officials once now that you're elected and you're getting to vote on important things whether it's school board member or budget um I think it's important to share information with with the public. I think that when you can um, educate them, then then you're less likely to get into that negative quagmire that seems to take over um, political discussions. We had our first budget increase for operations in at least 10 years and possibly 20, um, but but it's we just it's something Starkville has traditionally not done we've we've lived on what uh, former alderman called organic growth um, as opposed to saying these are services we want and we're willing to pay for them so this year when we developed our our budget and we saw that we were going to need a tax increase in order to do some of the things that we wanted to do we made sure that we put information out there about what our revenue sources were and where we were going to be spending our money and that we were going to raise taxes if the budget passed but this is what it was going to be spent for and i think i think when people can understand the process um it's not as hard to to cut down on that negativity as you would think we passed our budget four to three um but we didn't have a lot of negative input. I, I, I heard very few comments, and I, 
I ask for them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so <laughs> I had opportunities to hear them. I heard very few comments uh, that were negative. Um, it was more a recognition of this is what, what needs to be done. There was a town uh, down in Jackson, the Jackson area, who just passed a bond issue, a big bond issue for schools, and 85% of the local people voted for it. So they did a great job of explaining to the voting public what what the need was and what their responsibilities were going to be, and people bought into it. I stumbled into an article, I don't know, several years ago about the formation of Startville Electric. And it was it was set up, somebody's told me in the 30s, but I don't remember for sure about that part of it. But, but I remember that they had an election about whether they were going to get into the electricity business here in Startville. And there were about 10 people, as I recall, who voted no. So there are always going to be people who say no, no matter how important or, or how... something is there are always going to be people who say no but most people want the best for their community and and recognize that what's good for the community is good for them and and we are willing to support that yeah what would you say to someone who thinks that they have something important to contribute they have a purpose or they have something they want to change or make better in their community but they say no, it can never be me to run for office. We talked a little bit about this before the interview, and I loved what you had to say, especially for women. 
I, I, I'd say the very first thing is, are, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you can't do it? Um, you, you think now's not the right time? There's never going to be a right time. There's there's just too many things. Your kids are small. Your kids are grown. You're, you don't have kids and you're focused on your job. You know, there, there's never going to be a right time. Um, so be real sure before you rule it out. If you do rule it out, and and it's not the right fit for everybody. Um, If you do rule it out, find somebody who would be a good elected official and ask them to run. Offer your support to somebody who's already made that decision that that you think would be a good elected official. I had done some thinking about this as we were getting ready for this. Um, when we started initially talking about it, it was along the lines of why women should run for office. And I was thinking, oh, you know, women, we tend to be more collaborative. We tend to be more open to, there's those generalizations again, tend to be more open and responsive to people. Uh, there, there are a lot of reasons women should run. And then I started thinking, why shouldn't women run? Why are we even talking about that? Mm-hmm. And so um I was talking to my husband about it to say, am I off off center here with this? And he said, really, it's a hundred years ago. The question would have been, why should women be able to vote? And why, why shouldn't they be able to vote? And, and we've gotten the vote. We're now getting involved and running for office. And someday, hopefully, our elected bodies are going to look like the general population. It's not going to be... Um, not that there's anything wrong with um, 75 to 80% male elected groups, but, but it's not truly representative of all voices when you, when you have half of your population that's so underrepresented, half of your population who have a lot to bring to the table. Yes, and women bring to the table often family issues like yes. education, like health, like um, food, you know, all these things that, that Homestead members really care about and focus on. And women bring those issues to the table because they're central to families and raising kids and, and making communities better as a whole. Thank you so much for coming today and talking with us. And I, I hope that we can inspire more representation at the table just for the sake of my daughter, who, yes. who wouldn't think it was anything strange at all to run for office. Well, I think that's great if she's if she's gotten there. And um, when I was growing up, my daddy always told me, "You can be anything you want to be when you grow up." And that's that was an important message for me to hear. I, I found myself sometimes being the only woman in the room, and um, that's that's not our future. Right. Our future needs to be. Our future needs to look like us. We need to not leave uh, Sandra lonely at the table. That's right. (laughs) So if you have any questions, she's always happy to answer. And uh, I will put her contact information in the show notes. Thanks so much. Thank you.